0: I've been thinking about the idea of being away for a period of time and that's, that's fit, filled with all sorts of emotions. Uh, but in a strange way, there's uh, one particular scene from a, a movie that some of you will know. Um, it's the movie Gladiator, which is a surprising springboard for my thoughts for you. Uh, but this, uh, there's a reality to our spiritual experience uh, that we are in a spiritual battle. That, that's, a, that's a reality. Very often we don't use the language of warfare these days because it can be so easily misconstrued. But we are in a spiritual battle and there's a scene um, where you'll remember it if you've seen the movie, the uh, Maximus and his little crew are in the middle of the Colosseum. They're about to be in the, attacked from all sides. And he shouts out to them as it's about to all kick off, stand together. (laughs) Uh, And it seems to me that idea is written through the whole of the New Testament. Because we're in a spiritual battle, the encouragement isn't unity for some sort of theological imperative. The idea of standing together is desperately needed for our spiritual well-being so you know I'm not going off to the ends of the earth it's only 12 weeks which isn't long but I would pray that you would stand together uh, over this period of time let's pray father we are so thankful that you have your hand upon us and the victory is secured not in our strength but in the strength of Jesus our saviour And yet, at the same time, we recognize the reality of the battle that we are in, and we pray that we would love and value each other at an extraordinary level, and that we would stand together, in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've been, uh, yeah, we're right at the end, and we've been working through this series, singing the blues, looking at psalms, where lament is the main theme. And I guess there's a few things that we've seen. Firstly, we've seen the reality of our human experience within that sadness and the need to be honest about that sadness. And the encouragement within that, that the Bible engages in that as a reality. It doesn't pretend that that isn't our experience, it engages in the reality of that experience. That little clip that we saw earlier, there's going to be a whole load of you who will just know that straight away. And then there's going to be a, a group of us, no, a group of you, I know, <laughs> I've seen it, it's just a brilliant, brilliant film. Inside Out by Disney Pixar. The concept of it is, and it needs explaining, the concept is that the elephant is an elephant by the name of Bing Bong. It's a memory. It's a memory of Riley. And everything that we saw going on was within the brain of Riley. There are memories and then there are emotions. Joy. The irrepressible joy who is happy at everything. And if there is any sadness, she wants to turn it around to joy immediately. And then there is sadness. That other emotion that sits down next to Bing Bong at the loss of the rocket and talks to him with sadness, lamenting. It's lamenting, isn't it? And and here we are in the 21st century expressing to our children by way of cultural artifacts like films, expressing to our children the realities of the emotions of joy and sadness, and the necessity for both of them, joy and sadness, bing bong recovers when sadness engages appropriately. The Bible's full of that. But here's the question, because that that caricature that we've seen there of the way that our emotions are essential in in all of these human experiences it raises a huge question you see there are times when joy is able to turn around the situation and there is joyful experience there are moments when sadness and the engagement of true lament is the experience and that engagement of sadness turns our tears to joy that's very biblical, that, isn't it? That, that, that's kind of so powerful in, in, in the, met, the words of the Bible that talks about the reality of that. But here's the question, and it is so pertinent to our age today. What happens when sadness and joy both engage and there is no turn in our experience to joy? One of the things that we've probably noticed in the Psalms that we've been looking at over these past weeks is very often there's been a kind of a turning point in the Psalm. There is an expression of lament. There is an expression of sadness. There is the uh, words of reality. And then there is this turning point where, where the message of the God of the Bible in some way or in some language breaks in and there is a turning point to joy. What happens when that does not happen in our experience? Here's the question. Is there hope when there is only hopelessness? Here's some numbers. Conducted on the 17th of the 7th, 2017, reported by the BBC. Out of 39 mental health trusts which were questioned... 27 of their crisis teams spoke about an increased workload on average over the past year of 70%. Increased workload. And some had seen new referrals rise by as much as 60%. We live in an age of disturbed minds. That is a reality. There isn't time this afternoon to work through why. (laughs) there, There are all sorts. We could spend another summertime looking at the why and how God's Word can engage in the why. I just want to pause for a minute and say, here's the reality. The why can be all sorts of things, But the reality also tells us that there are many occasions when there is no turning point in our experience. When the reality is that we cannot turn things around. When the end is sadness. And Psalm 88, this powerful psalm, speaks into that situation for exactly that reason. Let's remind ourselves... These Psalms, what are they? It sounds so obvious for us to ask that question, but it's a helpful question to ask. What are they? They are songs which are penned by the, the inspiring work of God's Holy Spirit for God's people to sing. They are the authorized words of God's people back to God, the words that we use to speak to God. The way that he says, it is okay, it is good to speak like this to me. They are authorized by God. They are very often drawn out of personal experience. As we saw last week, they are sometimes drawn out of horrific experience. This one seems to be drawn out of a pervasive sadness, fear and brokenness and by the work of God working with his people we see that God says these words this expression of how you are and and how you experience your life before me in this desperate way which has no turning point we get to the end and it concludes with sadness final words of the psalm all day long they surround me like a, th- a flood. Talking about our, end, our terrors. They have completely engulfed me. You've taken from me friend and neighbor. Darkness is my closest friend. That's how it concludes. There is no turning point. And God says, I'm going to preserve these words by the power of my spirit for us in 21st century Western culture to reflect on as authorized words to me. And I think there couldn't be anything more powerful for us to declare in a world, in a culture, in a time which is experiencing disturbed minds, possibly on an unprecedented scale. Wow. This psalm, I think, is incredibly relevant and I've decided to specifically use this psalm as our conclusion because it doesn't have a turning point. Because sometimes lament is lament to lament and to lament. <laughs> That's how it is. So let's have a look, shall we? Let's, let's pull apart this psalm a little bit and let's see what we might be able to pick up from as we look at this experience, when we recognize that, you know, if we are bing-bong, sometimes we might not turn to joy, even when the comfort of lament is there. So firstly, and critically, we have our starting point. Look at verse 1 and 2. Lord, You are the God who saves me. Day and night I cry out to You. May my prayer come before you, turn your ear to my cry. Later on, we see that the psalmist reflects, but I cry to you for help, Lord, in the morning my prayer comes before you. There is a sense in which the starting point for this psalm, and this is why it is praise, is that the picture that is being painted is this cyclical idea of life. This idea that every morning I'm crying out to God in my sadness. That doesn't sound very worshipful, does it? And yet in another way, it is the most profound statement of worship. At the very bottom, in the pit if you like, when all help and hope is gone... The psalmist is declaring, in this experience, day in, day out, I get up and my reflection is towards you. I'm looking around and I'm, I'm kind of saying there's no hope anywhere else. But also saying it seems as though there is no hope f- from you. If we've been on the Christian pathway for any length of time, most of us can probably say I've been in this for a period of time. I've been in a period of time when I've got up and it seems as though I'm back where I was and I'm still crying out to God and it seems as though God is not engaging with me, is not speaking to me, is not changing the situation, is not, is not comforting me and yet I still go there. Because there's nowhere else to go. That's, that's praise. You could look at it like this. What is praise of water in a desert? You've probably heard me mention this. P- what is the praise of water in a desert? Praise of water in a desert is when you come over uh, a sand dune and you look down into the valley and you see a flowing river which is crystal clear and you run down into that water and you soak yourself and you drink it up and you are completely taken up with water. That is praise of water. Because it is there. And you can enjoy it. And yet praise of water also exists when your mouth is dry, when your water bottle is empty, and when you look at, into it desperately and you say, what I desperately need is water in this bottle. It's what I need it's what I need, I need it. You're praising water at that moment, in one sense. You're saying that is what I need. That is what the psalmist is is laying out before us. It's a pattern of life which says that it is possible that this is your experience. It's day in and day out. All sorts of factors might be the case. So the first thing that we see is that the starting point is also the foundation of the psalm. It's a way of declaring continually, no matter what happens, you're my hope. You are my hope. Secondly, a disturbed mind does not indicate the absence of God. Let me say that again. A disturbed mind does not indicate the absence of God. Sometimes we have that feeling that if I don't feel it, it must be because God is not there. (laughs) Look at the words in verse 3 to 5. I am overwhelmed with troubles and my life draws near to death. I am counted among those who go down to the pit I am like one without strength. I am set apart with the dead. Like the slain who lie in the grave. Whom you remember no more. Who are cut off from your care. I, I, I consider myself in that place. That, with the dead. The ones that you don't remember. I consider myself in shale. The place of separation from God that's where I see myself you remember me no more and yet this is a song which God says to his people keep on singing it (laughs) why why does he say keep on singing it when part of the song is about that feeling that you're not there What would you say to somebody who comes to you and sits down and says, this is how I feel. This is my experience. How would you respond? One of the ways in which we respond to this is by saying, you might feel like that, but that's not true. The fact that God is saying, keep singing that, is because He says He was there at that time. I was there in that moment. There's a really great little video which captures um, some of the experiences of low to medium level, maybe even to relatively, relatively severe levels of depression. Depression is a desperately awful condition. A condition which which causes us to not be able to see the things in in focus, see them appropriately, see them in their reality compared to the way we perceive them to be. It's a really great video. I'd encourage you to watch it if you know anybody struggling in this way or you You might even be struggling yourself. There's a little bit of video if you search black dog depression on YouTube. It is a brilliant little video. Depression is called this black dog which comes over me. (laughs) Which comes and just overshadows me. And it causes me no longer to be able to see things as they are. And and I, I would suggest that what God is doing is saying keep singing this to me. Keep singing this to me because it's a way of saying that even when you say this is the case, the reality is that I am there. You are not singing this into a void. You are not singing this into emptiness. You are not singing this into nothingness. Sharing time over the years with with this experience, with this challenge, that is one of the realities and one of the real dangers to the way that we perceive spiritual life in its existence. Sometimes we feel that spiritual life exists when we f- or we believe that spiritual ex- life exists when we feel spiritual life Is that the case? Does spiritual life exist only when we feel it? Or is this psalm saying something different? Is this psalm saying when you when you are singing that you are separated off with the dead alone? Are you singing it into nothingness? Or are you singing it to me? Because if you remember that you were singing it to me, then I've got to be there in that moment with you, haven't I? It's a way of saying your perception might be understandable, but it is not real. It is not true. It does not indicate the absence of God. You have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. Your wrath lies heavily on me. You have overwhelmed me with all your waves. You have taken from me my closest friends, have made me repulsive to them. I am confined and cannot escape. My eyes are dim with grief. I call to you, Lord, every day. I spread out my hands to you. I guess one of the most powerful and most dangerous experiences when we have this disturbed perspective of God's hand on us is when we interpret challenge and difficulty as God's wrath being poured out on us. This kind of tit-for-tat kind of idea. I've done something and therefore God's going to throw all sorts of terrible things down on me. I am separated away from Him. And if I am in that situation, there is no way back. My assessment of it is not correct when I say that. Look at what the Lord Jesus says about our location with God through Him. He says this in John chapter 6, and verse 37. All those the Father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. Do you see what this psalm is doing? It's saying, come to me. In the reality of that experience, sing this experience to me because I will not drive you away. So the second thing that I would recognize in that is that my experience of disturbed disturbed thinking is not grounds for God to dismiss me. It is not grounds for God to dismiss me. We often think, don't we, that we have to maintain acceptability. It's been a theme that's been running through many of these laments. That if God knew the reality of how I feel, when I wake up each morning and I think my spiritual life is a shambles, I am a fraud, I am a hypocrite, I so desperately want to be who I ought to be, and yet the reality is that I am so far off the mark, and I hide it from everybody, and I live as appropriately as I can with this mask in front of everybody, and yet there is this deep-seated feeling that I know that God knows the reality and that means he's really angry with me and then we have words like this which says this is how i feel i feel as if i am desperately far from you i feel as though all of this is going on because your wrath is against me and god says sing that sing that in the reality repeat it speak it out Because when you do that, I will not drive you away. I will not drive you away. I suppose, in a strange way, that idea of lament that we saw in Sadness, who sat next to Bing Bong and spoke about the reality, is a way of breaking the bonds of that fearful experience. To be able to name it before God and speak about it before God strips that experience of all of its power. It's lost its power over us when we can speak it before God. When we can confess it openly that this is where I am. This is how I feel. And God says, and I am still with you because I will never turn you away. So here's the concluding question, really, I suppose. Within all of this psalm, and we we'll cover it in brief phrases now, can we look at this and say that this idea of talking in this way is only a way for us to be able to get it off our mind, get it off our heart? Speak it out so that the power is gone. The kind of world to heaven therapeutic intervention. Is that what it is? Well, there is a sense in which that is true. That speaking it out honestly before God is the reality of true relationship with God. But is that it? There's something so much more So much more. So here's the question, because this psalm seems to end with no hope. So is there hope when there seems to be no hope? It seems to me that this psalm maps out the experience of Jesus. Look at verse 1 and 2. Lord, You are the God who saves me day and night. I cry out to You. May my prayer come to You. Turn Your ear to my cry. Where would we locate those verses? I think we could easily locate those verses as Jesus was in Gethsemane in the middle of the night as He was stra- sweating drops of blood, pleading out that God would hear His words, pleading out that His Father would turn and hear his cry. That's the beginning of hopelessness in the human perspective of Jesus. Jesus is entering in over the next hours to an experience which is, in human terms, hopeless. Absolutely hopeless. Look at verse 3 to 5. I am overwhelmed with troubles, my life draws near to death, I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am like the one without strength. I am set apart with the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave. It's as though the Father is saying to the Lord Jesus, here is the cup of death. (laughs) Will you drink it? Let me drink all of it. Let me drink to the bottom, to the dregs, the reality of placing myself with the dead." Verse 6 to 9, you have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths, your wrath lies heavily on me, you have overwhelmed me with all your waves, you have taken from me my closest friends and you have made me repulsive to them. I am confined and cannot escape, my eyes are dim with grief. I wonder whether the Lord Jesus looked up at Peter who denied him for the third time with happy, joyful, sunny eyes. Or were they eyes that were filled with grief and sadness? As every one of those who he counted, his very closest friends have deserted him. And he is left with no hope. Verse 13 and 14. But I cry to you for help, Lord. In the morning my prayer comes before you. Why, Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There's such a parallel to the life of Jesus. Verse 15 to 18 summarizes the whole of the life of Jesus. From my youth I have suffered and been close to death. I have borne your terrors and am in despair. Your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. All day long they surround me like a flood. They have completely engulfed me. You've taken me from friend and neighbor. Darkness is my closest friend. If you look at the trajectory of the life of Jesus, it is constant oppression. It is constant challenge. It is desertion of those who He came to speak to, those who were His own, and yet they did not receive Him. And finally, to be rejected by that small group who had accepted Him to absolute loneliness and hopelessness. So here's the question. When Jesus shouted out on the cross... It is finished. Was it hopeless? No. No. Because in some incredible, mysterious way, at the same time as the Father is pouring out His wrath on Him, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are also combined in the mission of salvation, in the mission of hope, In creating a perfect, beautiful, astounding plan of salvation which says that as Jesus enters into the grave, there is hope. There is hope. And you and I can stand on this side of the cross and we can see how it unfolds and we can say there was hope all the time. When he was going through what he was going through, there was hope. When it looked as if it was the very last and it looked as if the final die had been cast and it was gone and finished, we know that there was hope. And so, we are able to say, we can experience this kind of psalm in all of our life. We can share with brothers and sisters in Jesus who suffer from depression, who suffer from mental anguish, who suffer from spiritual anxiety for the whole of their life, and it never turns a corner, and they go to their final grave with that sadness in their heart, and we are able to say, but there is hope. There is. Because we can end with this experience and we can still say, but in Jesus, with his resurrection and the power of that, there is hope. One of the great heroes of the Bible who is a complete mess is Samson. Samson is a a crisis in spiritual terms all over the place. He finally ends his life, perhaps one would argue, in self-sacrificing suicide, and yet he's finally counted as one of the heroes of the faith. You see, our experience in life is not a measure of our hope in Christ. Our emotional framework is not a measure of our hope in Christ. Our hope in Christ is a reality through faith in Jesus, whether we feel it or not. That's what I want to encourage you at the end of this series on lament. It's a reality whether we feel it or not. It's a reality whether at times we believe it or not. It's true. Paul puts it like this, In Romans chapter 8 and verse 35 to 39, we're going to conclude this series with these few verses. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Every one of those are life-ending experiences. They're not troubles along the way, are they? They are life-ending experiences. As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That says it all. It says it all. It is the conclusion of hope in lament. We could write lament over those experiences of trouble and hardship. They last for the whole of life and they end our lives. And yet nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. That's hope. That's why singing the blues is a reality. But a reality that will only last for a season. That's why joy is an absolute guarantee not because of us but because of Jesus and so my prayer over these next few months is that if you lament you might know hope and if you lament and don't feel that hope then that reality of faith in Christ is still your hope because nothing can separate you from his love